rather busy. Now he's going to move like right along to McGregor. That's his whole life. You know. So I'm really liking the beginning of season six because it's a weird mirror of season two. I mean, the beginning and drive are kind of dark mirrors of Little Green Men and the host. Yes, absolutely. And I I think it's kind of interesting that they did it this way. Now, the elephant in the room, of course, is that this is no longer filmed in Vancouver, British Columbia. It is no longer the gloomy wonderfulness of the Pacific Northwest. It is now the harsh reality of Southern California. And mm. that both doesn't matter and matters, I think, to the ways in which they are willing to stretch outside of the bounds of how they're telling these stories to, to you know, from very small things like episodes are set in Phoenix, Arizona yeah. and Utah in ways that they never would have even attempted before uh, and, and believably pull those places off. To larger ones about, you know, meta commentary in the case of Drive about um, sort of, I think, Southern California's fascination with high speed car chases. And we will talk about that more when we talk about Drive. But I, I both like and dislike the beginning because objectively speaking, I think it's a mess and it's even more kind of a mess because it relies on information that wasn't in the previous season yeah it we ha- talked a lot with, well we talked a lot last week about how the movie was this sort of weird thing where it wasn't really satisfying the fans and then you get this sixth season premiere which like has this head turning thing at the very beginning where you have scenes from the movie in the previous yes one. that was a weird relationship to the movie that i was I don't know if that was the – I don't know if that previously on was there when it first aired, but it feels almost like they were allowed to get movie footage was my initial reaction. Like, of course, they're allowed to get it, but it feels weird that they did that. Yeah. Yeah, it feels weird they did that, and and I'm assuming that they were able to do that when it originally aired because 20th Century Fox produced the movie and I think owned the television show. Yeah, I'm so sure that, that was pretty – I'm sure they – at the very beginning when they were doing you know dealing with the licensing we'd like to use this in the preview okay let's handle that litigation now kind of thing they it's not like anybody's not going to want the rights to that right right exactly and it it makes the fifth season finale the movie and the sixth season premiere i think very difficult to contextualize in a very strange way because it is like we talked about last week sort of this cross-platform event and certain plot points in the movie bleed over into the season premiere in the case of the aliens growing in people and things of that nature. And we do learn a little bit more information about them at the very end of the beginning when we see a, 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 you know, a a regular gray come out of the body of a, what did you call them last week? An angry. And so that is kind of interesting. And then at the same time, they bring back Gibson praise and they bring back the, all these, you know, spender and, and, and Diana. And you're kind of like, I'm not really sure what they're doing here. Yeah. It's the beginning and the end. uh, Sorry. The end in the beginning, obviously because of their titles have a two part structure to each other. And as has, they are in continue. And the beginning is a continuation of the end in the same way that season episode one of a season is always the continuation of the previous. They they do work in two parters here, but which makes the movie almost a weird side digression that 
fleshes out a lot of the stuff that's only ultimately going to be paid off in the beginning. And I guess what I think is pretty funny is that the revelation that, oh, the black oil doesn't possess people, it really grows aliens inside them, is the big revelation at the end of Fight the Future. But that pales in comparison to the big revelation at the end of the beginning, which is alien DNA is inside everybody. Everybody is part alien. Like, to me, that seems like the bigger (laughs) – to me, that seems like the much bigger story beat, and it's not the one covered in the movie. That that is the setup for the big story beat that's in the next episode. Yeah, no, for sure. I I, I think you're totally right. And and this is kind of a a very strange situation that we find ourselves in because – the beginning is both not the conclusion to a two-parter and it is the conclusion to a two-parter. And so they kind of have to, by dint of the fact that they are trying to do something very different with their television show, make an even bigger reveal at the end of the episode, which yeah. as you say they do. But I'm not quite sure that it works. And I'm also not quite sure that I I don't know that the I, I find myself thinking about the the timeline of events. I I find myself thinking about why Spender and Diana weren't in the movie. And of course, the answer why they weren't in the movie is because they would have been superfluous to the story and it would have been entirely confusing. But there are things about it which you watch the beginning directly after the movie and you're like, oh, yes, right. We're back in the television show, The X-Files. And now we don't have to have this weird pocket universe that the movie seems to inhabit. But but in a way, then, that's the entire thing of the X-Files. We've talked so many times about how, due to the nature of episodic television, the X-Files can be whatever it is at the moment. We can have something like the postmodern Prometheus and El Mundo Gira and Chinga and stuff, and varying degrees of success, of course, but you can have all of these weird, tonally different things. And so the movie having its own tonal differences and being this weird outlier, that's the same as the rest of the X-Files in a way. Actually, I kind of appreciate it a little more thinking on that term. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's a good point. I mean, I do think that um, the movie, in as much as it is in that kind of vein, is is the big budget action movie version of the X-Files. Yeah. And and this is a much smaller scale kind of version of, of, of a – I don't even know what you would really call this story because there's not really much of a plot in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, you know, aside from the fact that they're following this trail of this alien, but that's not really that interesting or even that important. That almost seems yeah. like an excuse for Mulder and Scully to just fuck off. It's a MacGuffin, and, yeah. It, it, this is more – a check-in episode. It's been a couple of months later. Things are different. Let's check in with everybody. Okay. Um, she's been promoted to the head of the X-Files. Mulder's doing this. And Gideon Praise is being operated on. The alien is growing. It, it, it's checking up on the story beats. And, again, for the audience at the time of the premiere, it would have been a couple months. It would have been a couple months between the end, the movie, and the beginning. That that is true, and that is a good point. But but I think that for me, what what is difficult about this is I don't know how. Inv- I mean, I do know how invested to get in the into the status quo of this yeah. because I've seen the show before. But for someone watching this for the first time, how invested do you want to get into this? You know, accepting the status quo that is set in the beginning because you know you started out saying, well, this is basically like what happened at the beginning of season two, and it is, and that lasted all of seven episodes. Yeah, and I figure it's going to be very quickly resolved, but 
so the last shot of the beginning is Gideon Praise is hiding in the nuclear reactor. He has some sort of connection to the alien. The alien is molting, and it's the Greys. And of course, that would have been a much more shocking image in at the time because Greys imagery was a lot more omnipresent there than it is here. That that it's turning into this uh, icon that we all know at this point. I think was more of a what uh, was more of a thing in the original episode. But here, to me, of course, that is a, um attempt at welding, I think, all of the different views of the aliens that we've seen so far. Oh, they weren't... We've had that question. Are these different species? Well, this episode... If it's a retcon, this episode is implying, well, they're all the same species, just at different ages. I have made a hell of a side point. Um... If I was watching this episode in a show that was created and being produced in 2018, I would expect the next episode to be a direct continuation of this. I mean, that's a hell of an image. What's the alien going to do now? What's going to happen to Gibson Praise? What's going to go on with the X-Files? And we we kind of get some of that, right? I yeah. Mean, in, in, in Drive, the, the events of, of the beginning kind of spill over in that Scully has to deal with angry agent, uh, you know, agent uh, Kirsch or assistant director Kirsch. Yeah. Um, they're, they are no longer on the X-Files. They have to play the game that they were playing, you know, before. So so in that sense, it does tie over. And, and I think that the show is feeling a little bit off balance because, I mean, part of what was going on behind the scenes as well, I think, feeds into that because... We, we, I, I kind of talked about this a little bit, but David Duchovny was the one who really kind of forced their hand to move production from British Columbia to mm. L.A. And, you know, he famously did not really like it. He wanted to be closer to his wife, to yeah, Leone, yeah. who they've been divorced for years. So that was not really that you know, <laughs> like uproot 500 people's lives um, so that you could stay, you know, closer to your wife than you were your wife for like five years. Uh, good what job. Dave, she, company. What's she up to these days? I'm sure she's very happy. <laughs> what she's doing. Um, I'm sure, I hope she saved her money and she's enjoying a lovely uh, semi retirement. But I <laughs> like, and I think that some of the, some of the, the the sort of like deck deck setting here that you try to get or the plate the play setting I'm mixing my metaphors mm-hmm. um, is due to that fact that I don't know how many even of the production staff went with them yeah. to LA I don't know if this is like feeling like an entirely new show it's also a really big deal to move a show like this because yeah. or any any television show i'm sure any production i'm sure to move it 500 miles away into a different country and i just there there's a there's a this is a this is kind of a i don't want to overstate the case but this is kind of an important turning point for the x-files because most shows would be kind of winding down at this yeah point, right like this is the sixth season of the show it's been on for a number of years Duchovny is starting to get a little bored. Anderson's starting to get a little bored. Like the scripts are still good, but you can see how much longer they're going to be able to continue this. They just made this big movie. And it really does feel like they have one foot in one version of the show and one foot in another version of the show. And which one is going to win? Well, reply hazy, try again. Yeah. I mean, I could definitely see a, conflict between we have a new crew we're excited to work on the x-files we're doing some new things there a a, a new set new settings new types of stories i can see it being revitalized in that way but then at the same time 
You still have Duchovny and Anderson. Yeah, they're getting tired. Chris Carter only has is starting to run out of coherence if he hasn't already. Um, a lot of the writers have gone this. Some of the, the as a procedural, it has the possibility of becoming formulaic in a way which would feel dull. So yeah, there there is that sense of. Part of it feels like we're going to do some new things, and part of it is like, no, I'm tired. Let's just do our two more seasons, and we've got our seven seasons, and let's go home. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, I think that, that that's very true, and, and, and part of what I think is interesting about this episode in particular is is the ways in which they really do feel a little revitalized about um, the new setting. And, you know, for like famously, um, the, the first episode, the beginning – starts with this close-up of the sun and it pulls back you know and it's like yeah. you never really got that kind of thing before they're 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 taunting you right like one of the things that i love about the x-files is that they were not above taunting their audience in a meta way and that is about as meta as a as a taunt as you can get it's almost like a gauntlet throwing like yes we are now in la what are you going to do about it yeah home and- gave us this gory, beautifully filmed, uh, weird thing that was something we never thought we would see on the X-Files before. And this this season is giving us the sun, and that's the thing that we would never see before. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, Boulder's <laughs> walking around in sunglasses, and it's hot, and, you know, and it's just... It, it makes the show feel different. I'm not even sure how it makes it feel different, but it does make it feel different. Yeah, it, it, it's a much uh, – again, it's a it, – there is a difference between nighttime and daytime horror, and I think we are uh, seeing that. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of that um, – I forget who, who said it, but I think it might have been Bob Kane, um, the guy who created Batman, who said, like, the difference between um, – the difference between, like mm. – uh, oh, God, what was it? Wait, I, I think I know what you mean. Metropolis and Gotham City is uh, Metropolis is New York by day and Gotham is New York by night. Is that the? Yeah, yeah. It's like the, the famous quote is something like Metropolis is New York, Midtown, New, Midtown Manhattan on the sunniest mm. day of the year in like July. And Gotham City is Manhattan below 14th Street on like a cold winter's night. And. And that is true. In a lot of ways, that is really true, that the the sort of environment that you are making something is very it, – it's going to affect the, the, the quality of the product, and it's going to even affect what you make. Um, and it remains to be seen, I think, what The X-Files does. Now – I guess I don't know. The question for you is like we'll talk we'll we'll talk a bit more about the actual episode, but but kind of to wrap this part of the conversation up, are you as a viewer, as a critic, as someone doing this podcast, excited about the possibilities of LA based X Files? I'm ex- well, having seen an LA based mythology and an LA based monster of the week, I'm really excited about the LA monster of the week episodes. How's that for an answer? Yeah, I think that's a good answer. I'm I'm almost done. I'm done with the mythology. I'm ready for them to finish it up. <laughs> the li- like, no, really, well. like I, I know it never finishes, but it would be really great if okay, this is the big gauntlet. We're part we're part alien. How do we figure this out? And then we're just going to finish it up this season, and then it'll be done, and then we can go to other stories. Like, and I mean, maybe that's the. That's the way the tension is manifesting itself. Uh, 
the mythology is the tired, we're done with this, and the monster of the week is where it does feel like there is some vitality left. I, I think that's right. I mean, we will certainly see mythology episodes, and, and I have said before that the mythology has diminishing returns, perhaps after the fourth or fifth season, and we will see. I mean, we can get we can get into that a little bit, because of course the beginning is a mythology episode, and I think part of what makes it a very strange mythology episode as i started out this conversation saying is that it has to bridge both the story of the end and the story of the movie i'm not entirely sure that it really succeeds with either of those i don't know if we needed gibson praise to come back Mm -hmm. I, i i like him more in this episode he is a much more tragic figure in this episode yeah and and his sort of like what they were trying to do with him in the previous episode about being this like slightly off savant kid who's just like you know way too mature for his age he's sort of like weary beyond his years i think they pull that off a little better in this episode yeah but i still not really sure that well yeah because we i th- needed a resolution to that character if you know what i mean i i feel like i i now i'm curious is this the end of gibson praise or are we going to see him more then you know would it be terrible to say i actually don't remember <laughs> uh I, I i i it doesn't shock me because they don't i don't think they quite know how to handle him as a character it hasn't really yeah I, I, he's a plot device he is still a plot device he's a little bit better and maybe we buy the whole he's um Maybe we buy his world weirdness because he's, we see him being operated on in a horrible scene, and there is it is implied that he has a little bit of precognition where he has recognized what's going on. You know, he knows that this is going to happen to him. Uh, I, I mean that that was part of the implication I got from it. Yeah, yeah, and I and I think that I mean if you want to talk about him as a plot device, I think the obvious way to go with that is he is a manifestation and a representation of just how far the conspiracy, the syndicate will go to both keep this secret and to try to I guess stop it if they can, but and it it's the increasing cost of doing so. They are they are now you know, performing grotesque, unnecessary surgeries on like a five-year-old kid or a six-year-old kid. Uh, and I guess that's that's okay. I, I just don't know if there's much nuance there. It, it, it's a little too easy to me. Yeah, if you want to make it clear that this conspiracy is evil, have them perform brain surgery on a child while he's awake. It's true. Um it, <laughs> It is a little over the top, I guess, but at the same time, the X-Files gets a little over the top, and I think that's one of the things we love about it. I I think that's right. I mean, I want to move away from Gibson Praise because I'm actually kind of excited to talk about uh, the the Diana and Spender uh, X-Files, because this is an example, I think, of the X-Files doing continuity right. Go back to the second season again. The X-Files are shut down. Mulder is working on wiretaps. Scully has gone to Quantico, I think, and she was teaching. Yes. Uh, they're, they're apart. They, this, is, this is a pair that had only been working together for a year, and it was easier to separate them. And that didn't work out, obviously, because of the tenacity of both of them. And now here we are four years later. The X-Files has been shut down and then reopened. But everyone has learned lessons. 
Mulder and Scully have not been reassigned to the reopened X Files. Yeah, they are being sent around to investigate fertilizer <laughs> purchases, which is a nice little touch. And it shows me that um, it's I I, I I love this I love this idea so much because what it indicates to me is that Chris Carter and the rest of the writing staff are are learning from what they're writing and they are saying okay well. They tried to break them up. It didn't work. So they're going to keep them together, but they're going to take them off the X-Files. And that is how they're going to try and break Mulder and Scully. And I I like how between the movie and Drive, they're getting worse. Like, at least in the movie, they're dealing with – their assignment at the beginning of the movie, we have to find this bomb, is a pretty exciting one. And now they're still in bomb work. It's just – you know, it's it's checking up on the fertilizer purchases. Like, I I think it's – funny how in the movie it's not a punishment assignment but now they've pissed enough people off that they are on the punishment assignment yeah because i think i think what what it really comes down to is that is that when they were on that assignment in the movie of course the x-files weren't reopened and so they were kind of like floating around and maybe being used on exciting assignments as they come in because that was that whole thing in the the plot line in the movie about they were waiting for reassignment and scully was saying you know oh if i get sent to the omaha field office i'm gonna quit i'm just gonna go work in medicine again and that is of course what happens and and it's interesting to me that now that the X-Files has been reopened, they are reassigned to a really, really shit detail. Yeah. And Literally. not an exciting one, as you say. But more interestingly than not, and I can never, I'm not sure if this is a problem or not, but all the talk of Scully, basically Scully's entire character arc in the movie is just cut off at the knees in this episode because there's no way that she's ever going to actually leave the show. Yeah. Um. So... She doesn't do it, but the, but it just like the the episode ignores the fact that she had this character arc in the movie. I don't know. I I I, I buy it actually because I think that even though she, because her her character arc in the movie is coming from her being in a crisis of faith. The X Files have been shut down. The the offices have been burned. They've lost all of the work that they've done. She doesn't know if anything has been worth it. She doesn't know if she's done any good in the world. And uh, by the end of the movie, she recognizes that, no, this exists. There is this conspiracy. This shit is happening. We need to do something. And yes, this is not the right assignment. But I think Skelly is... Skelly is in a weird place and... I think Drive is a, it would be a good place for us to talk about uh, s- 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 the next steps in Scully's character arc from the movie because I think it's picked up a lot more there. Okay. Well, um, unless you have anything else to say about the beginning, we can move on to Drive because this is our podcast and we can do what we want. Yeah, I think I've said – I mean Drive is certainly the much more interesting episode, but yeah. All right, well, let's talk about Drive then. But before we do that, you know what's coming. This podcast is supported by you. Yes, you listening to this. If you don't support us and you would like to, please go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. If you don't know, patreon.com is a website where you can trade money for love. Our love. Our love. Not not that we're selling sex, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I just want to make that clear because I do not want to get our podcast taken down now that Donald Trump has signed SESTA. So... Please go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow and give now. 
Drive is a weird episode on the meta meta way because we are seeing the very embryonic state of Breaking Bad here. We are seeing, I think, the first Brian Cranston-Vince Gilligan collaboration, and it's kind of awesome. Yeah, it's it's, it's fun to see, and I love this episode. Yeah. I think it is... Oh. Like, if this is what moving the X-Files to L.A. is going to get you, like, this is great. This and... is a story we have not seen before in an environment we have not seen before. Yeah, I mean, the very concept of driving west did not exist in this show before. No, no, it didn't. And <laughs> and what I think what I think is, is, is so great to see with an episode like Drive is, yes, of course, we are seeing Vince Gilligan work with Brian Cranston for the first time, although I don't know exactly how involved. No. They were with each other. I I don't think that writers. I mean, it depends on the show, but a lot well, of times writers don't really visit the set. But given Vince Gilligan's production roles, though, he might. I'm sure they met and said hello and had a conversation at some point, probably. But anyway. that that is true. Yeah, yeah. But that that leaving that aside, I really like the fact that Vince Gilligan has quietly become mm. one of the best parts of the X Files. Yes. He has really grown from his like pretty good episodes to something like this, which could not work in so many different ways, <laughs> but it works so well. And part of what makes it work is that, and I think this is true for Vince Gilligan's work in general, which I may be just realizing, is that he has a, a, a core of humanity to all of his writing hmm. that that elevates what could be a very a very standard or very cliche sort of story. Yeah, I mean, with Breaking Bad, every time a person is getting killed, it is very clear that it is a person getting killed. It is clear that these this is suffering um, and that this is very fucked up and bad. And even, you know, somebody who is a monster, and there are plenty of monsters on Breaking Bad, but I just, just, it, there is a very strong awareness of the physical and psychic pain that these people are in. Uh the Brian Cranston character in Drive is very you know, quickly re- at the beginning. He just seems like this psycho, and then he's clearly revealed to be just this dude who was having a nice day, a nice morning off, and then suddenly his life went to hell. He lost everything. Yeah, and and what I like about that so much is that I think that a lot of times the X Files has a little bit of trouble with. Um, with humanizing the mm. events of all of these various conspiracies that are going on. And, and this episode in particular does a really good job of showing that there's no human cost involved um, in a very graphic way. I mean, yeah. we see like, well, we don't actually see the heads explode, but we, we get enough of an image. We get autopsy footage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, we also get, I mean, I was eating dinner when I watched this, Me too. kind of a mistake, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> I should I should know my lesson by now. I, I don't know why I keep doing this to myself, but anyway, and and it's just it's so nice to see because you know the 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 mystery the mystery unfolds so well. I think in this episode and the the the, the way in which Mulder and Scully are separated in this episode yeah. happens very organically. It doesn't feel artificial at all. And and then Scully doggedly pursues the mystery, and as it turns out, there's this weird thing going on with some sort of you know uh, um, antenna or something that the Navy has, and it's just a side effect. They didn't mean to do anything. Yeah. It wasn't a, an actual test to see like if people would murder themselves, like um, in uh, in in that episode from the second season, blood. blood. 
it, it's just it's just a random shitstorm, and what we see here is so many lives that have been altered irrevocably. Yeah. This is and, another and, uh, another Vince Gilligan thing where it, it is just random chance and just. Five, the ending, five minutes and he would have lived. These people lived a mile away from where they lived. They would have been fine. It's just it's, there. sometimes you, you roll a zero and everything just really just is destroyed. Yeah, because I also think that, you know, another thing about Vince Gilligan's episodes is he is always very interested in, in, in the monster, right? Mm-hmm. And this is the clearest example yet of... I think this is his best version of that. You know, we yeah. have a really clear understanding of this guy's motivations. We have a really clear understanding of who he is as a person. Um, the the weird anti-Semitism aside, which we will talk about, because <laughs> I'm never really sure what that where that where Vince Gilligan is going with that. But and then he dies at the end, and you're just like, wow, yeah. this is this is a wasted life. This is a man who seemed to be pretty happy. And just because of circumstances, people thought he was, you know, committing these horrible crimes. But at the end of it, he was just trying to protect himself and his wife. Yeah, he was acting out of terror and fear and desperation, not out of any right. malice or, or or violence. And that, again, Breaking Bad is an exploration of somebody who is living a normal life and the violence that is bubbling under the surface. Obviously, that's a much more nuanced portrayal because it's over seven seasons, but that is where the Brian Cranston character is in Drive. He is somebody who woke up as woke up one morning, was a roofer, and then just suddenly became a criminal and was able to do acts of violence. And yeah, he, yeah. And, and it's and when you do look at it, it, it isn't as if he did anything. What did he do? He stole a car and carjacked Mulder. In the grand scheme of things, he's another one of those monster of the weeks who doesn't kill anybody. Right. And in fact, he's he's kind of actively trying to, to not do yeah. that. I mean, he, he is, in a sense, trying to save his life. And th- this is very similar to a lot of sort of philosophical arguments about it. You know, what, what are the moral circumstances surrounding, you know, is it okay to steal food, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, we don't need to get into that because it's kind of facile. But at the same time, I think there's an air of that here, which is that, what is he really doing yeah. that is so terrible? I mean, certainly um, he is committing crimes, but at the end of the day, he's not doing anything that bad. And it's all contextual, right? Like Mulder is the only one that really gets what's going on. Yeah. And Scully also follows along with him because, well, she's Scully and that's what she does. But not to say she doesn't have her own mind no, about no. things. But 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 Mulder is really the only person that uh, Crump is able to stop long enough to explain what's going on. I mean, it it is, and once Scully does, and Scully is obviously able to explain this to the other doctors and the police, and again, everybody understands. And I I, I think that's the that's one of the parts of the episode that I like that. Once it becomes clear what exactly is going on, that this is a very sick man who needs very desperate medical attention, and this is a – everyone kind of runs with it and is trying to save the guy's life. Obviously, he will go under some kind of penalty for you – know, he he will be punished in some way for what he's done, but they're also going to try and save his life, and that will certainly – all of this information would come up at the trial. Right. I mean, it, it's extenuating circumstances. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you you wanted to talk about um, Scully. I mean, you, you so so talk about Scully. I mean, I'm, I'm curious yeah. to get your Be- thoughts on on that because I I so the host right that episode Mulder gets this shitty assignment 
which is secretly passed through him to him by, through Skinner because Skinner recognizes yeah <laughs> Skinner recognizes something ex filey about this and wants Mulder to investigate him and this is the way he's tossing him a case and uh that ultimately does lead to the reopening of the X Files um here. Obviously, Director Kirsch is not on their side. He is not secretly passing them a case. He is giving them a boring punishment assignment, and this is an unauthorized side quest that they go on. Um, Scully, I think, is there because she is biding her time. I, I, I think Scully is patient enough to recognize that this is not our moment. We are not defeated. We know that there is something out there, but we don't have the strength or the resources to deal with that yet, particularly after the movie. We're out of mana now, and we really just have to do what we're told until we can find a way. And I think she recognizes that this case in Nevada might be their way in. Frankly, it is because this all leads to nothing that – I mean, imagine the what-if of this episode, that – they saved this guy's life, that this leads to evidence about how harmful this uh, antenna was, and it leads to them you know, it, it enlightening that the, the government re- branch that did this knew it was unsafe and all that kind of stuff. Imagine that. This would have been a very successful case, a very good use of resources. In the end, they end up just tumbling directly into the basically Kirsch's trap, which is that You've wasted a lot of money on something that was de- that the guy even died at the end, and they were going to do this anyway. And he has a very he has very strong evidence at the end that Mulder and Scully are wasting the department's resources. Um, and yet, I think she her reaction to Kirsch's insisting that you did nothing, he died, and you didn't get this project sh- shut down. I don't think Scully for a minute believes that the project was going to be shut down anyway. She knows what she affected. She knows that she did the right thing, and she knows that the world was that 1% better for her actions in this. And I think that's why I, – I, I think that is a show of Scully's faith and kind of the next step in that arc from the movie because she does want to still help people. And she has been in a place where she has been on an adventure where she – was able to use her medical knowledge to attempt to save people and maybe prevent further incidents like this. I think for Scully, that's satisfying. Yeah, I, I, there's a lot to unpack there. I, I agree with you. I think that I, I certainly can see that as a continuation and, and, and the way in which Scully has adjusted her her goals, <laughs> essentially. You know, I, I think that, that the other part of that, which you didn't kind of touch on, is that Scully has been through a lot and Scully maybe just was tired in the movie and maybe just yeah. didn't want to do this. And maybe the idea of being reassigned without Mulder was unappealing, but the fact of the matter is they are both still together. They are yeah. still the partners of each other. And so that that may be part of it that she doesn't understand because or maybe she does understand it. I'm never sure. Because there is there are there are, I mean like um, Scully reaches out for Mulder's hands at one point or vice versa. I forget yeah. which that's kind of a continuation of the aborted kiss from the movie. We don't really know what's going on here. And I think that what is interesting about Scully and Mulder's relationship and Scully in general with this episode is that 
Vince Gilligan has a very particular understanding of their dynamic. Mm. I mean, he's the one who wrote Bad Blood from last season. Yeah. And Kirsch's line at the end of Drive where he says, you apologize for him a lot. Yeah. Is is very telling because Scully protects Mulder. Mulder is the person who can kind of like go off half cocked and he'll be all right. Scully is the one who really has to be buttoned up. Scully is the one who has to manage everyone's emotions, manage everyone's expectations. And I think that's part of it. I also think the other part of it that's very interesting to me, which we can talk about more, is that I think to a large degree, Scully is very conservative. And I don't mean conservative politically, although who knows? I mean conservative in the sense that she believes in institutions. She believes that people are going to do what they say they're going to do. She believes in working within the system. She believes that if you are put forth rules for conduct, and if you follow these rules of conduct, you will be promoted or you will be put back on the X-Files or whatever the hell she wants. I think is very clear, and I think that's what she believes. Mulder certainly does not believe that, and Mm. I think that is a key difference between the two of them. I happen to think Scully is wrong. I happen to think that she is being naive when she thinks this, but but I think that's part of her personality. But I think this episode is a part of her. I, I, I think she's starting to click on the light, though, because, again, she doesn't really... I don't think Scully will ever believe that Kirsch is an ally. She knows he's an enemy. She knows he's someone he she has to work around. And she recognizes, at least after he's talked to her at the end about all the expenses reports and everything, that the system has aligned itself against her. Against her and Mulder. Uh, this, the system ha- wants to get rid of them investigating the X-Files and that it has placed Kirsch as the method of that and I think she is going I I, I believe that she's she's recognizing that Mulder is the only one that she can trust to get through this with her and other people to a lesser degree I mean she certainly knows the lone gunmen are on their side and all of that but I don't know this episode does not leave with Scully's faith broken or with the possibility that either of them, their faith is going to be broken. I mean, that's the, uh, there's the bit that Mulder is saying to Crump, like, well, if you think the government did this to you and you want to stick it to the government, you ha- you can't die. You, ha- you, ca- you can't stick it to the government. As, as long as you're alive, that's how you're going to get them. And I think this is... Mulder and Scully recognizing that they do need to stay alive. Maybe they're not going to thrive. Maybe they're not going to flourish right now. But even if they're just in survival mode, that's how they're going to fight back. The very fact that Kirsch hasn't fired them yet, but is just getting angry and angry and they're pissing them off. That's in a way a victory. Yeah, yeah. And well, let's talk about Kirsch then, because... I don't think there's a lot to say about him. No. He is yet another character that, that we're not really sure where this is going to go or who he is. He, In a lot of ways, he is he is where Skinner was at the end of the first yeah. season. We don't know who this guy is. We don't trust him. Um, but I think the show is doing something interesting here because of the experience of Skinner where, as I said, we didn't trust Skinner. We didn't know who this guy was. And uh, we have the same guy pretty much now, Kirsch. 
do we trust him? Do we not trust him? I think the show might be trying to make us trust him by dint of the fact that we wanted not to trust Skinner in the beginning and he became an ally of Mulder and Scully. <laughs> it's kind of playing around with our expectations a little bit. But the other interesting thing about Kirsch, which I, I find surprising, and I had, I had forgotten this until I watched the movie last week, is that Curse sticks around for a while. He he is not mm. a character that appears in six episodes and you never see him again. He he's with the show for a while, and he first appears in the movie. I, okay, I, I, I think th- I think he's basically like the one new character in the movie that's stuck with the show. Hmm. Okay, I mean they obviously have something planned for this. I don't know what their ideas. I don't know where. I I don't know where it's going to go, but. Uh, I, well, neither do I, though. It's okay. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I I don't know. that they're, they're Again, and again, I didn't, I, I didn't quite trust Mo, uh, Skinner at the beginning. I did, I think, say that I believed he was a company man, and he turned out to be walking a finer line. Um, I guess I just don't feel like the conspiracy wants to make that same mistake twice this time. They're they're going to be very clear on who they place in charge of Mulder and Scully. They are obviously given the bad boss in a way. Yeah, and I and I also think I mean you you see quickly that that Kirsch is better at keeping Mulder and Scully in mm. line than Skinner ever was. Um, he's keeping tabs on them in a way that Skinner perhaps even never did. I don't know that Skinner wanted to do this. Kirsch yeah. seems very eager to do it. He seems like this is a personal thing for him for whatever reason. And- yeah. He, 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 I mean, the way he relishes those bills at the end, you can tell he really likes the cold numbers. He thinks that Scully and Mulder are a drain on the FBI's resources, both financially in the agents that they have on lab stuff that they're and, and i mean this is a time in where the oklahoma city bombing was not that far away and in which over the course of the movie a federal building was blown up in a very real way keeping tabs on who's buying shitloads of fertilizer is an important thing in this era and sure this work does need to get done yes He's sending agents on a on a mission that is below them, below their abilities, below their skills. But this work does need to be done. They're on notice. They need to straight. Uh, and again, I think, like I said, Scully kind of wants to bide her time, but they're not. He wants to see them fuck up. He's waiting for them to fuck up. And the second that they do fuck up, he is prepared with all of the financials to have hard cold numbers where they could fuck up. So that way he can get enough uh, documentation to get them kicked off the FBI and then save the department of much of money. Like that to me seems like Kirsch's thing. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think to, to wrap this back around to, to Crump, because I, I don't want to wrap this episode up without going back to him, is that Kirsch is very... I think that for, for what I, what the impression I get with Kirsch is that, or from Kirsch, is that he doesn't care if the conspiracy is real. Like, yeah. he's not interested. He he could care less. You know, he's not some evil mastermind, and he's not uh, like Skinner. He's He hasn't become a true believer, and he's not going to. He doesn't care. It, it, he's sort of like, um, he's amoral in a sense. And 
he like you said he feels that his job is to keep Mulder and Scully in line that they are a drain on the FBI and but at the end of the day stuff like the events of drive continue to happen and they will continue to happen and there is going to be a real tension i think at at yeah. you know it, if we spin this out and say like this is actually real for a second how would the fbi actually deal with this you know i think that they would want to keep an investigative unit around that would handle this kind of thing and yeah. of course they do because diana and and spender are now in charge yeah. of investigating the x files but they're not the ones that found the events of drive either and and what what is more damning i think is that what what scully is kind of intimating in that scene is that the fbi is failing people like crumb yeah. you know, the fbi is there to protect the citizens of the country now you know whether or not you actually believe that is a different story but but i am saying like what scully would believe and i think that she's very upset with the fact that crump died and yeah. for no reason, you know, and, and again, I mean, Crump is not like a super nice guy. I do want to talk about his anti-Semitism mm-hmm. once again, because I don't, I don't get it. I, I, like, I need you to talk me through it. But but I think that's where it's going. I think that's what what this entire episode is trying to say, in a sense. I mean, I think the anti-Semitism is in a kind of ironic way, putting Crump into a particular stereotype. But as you say, the FBI is not taking care of citizens. I mean, this is the... The, the the this is the people that Donald Trump appealed to right people who have shit situations who don't believe that the government is there for them who believe that somebody is out to get them whether it's the international jewish conspiracy or the government or you know whom or the mexicans coming to steal our jobs or whomever um because in a lot of ways as I said, the, the, what fucked up Crump's life was random chance. There is – if we do believe that this was a legitimate accident and a weird side effect of something that would never happen again, um, it is Crump's life and the life of several people around just being utterly devastated and destroyed, as you said, for no reason. And yeah, I can – it's not like he has a fantastic life beyond that, right? Like he's somebody who lives in a trailer and is a roofer. He has a very small, not not necessarily fancy quality life. Um, even before this sound destroyed everything, he didn't have the best of times. And I, yes, I in no way is the international Jewish conspiracy rep- responsible for where he is for that we have to go into a ton of economic history and into into a ton of stuff that is beyond my and crump's comprehensions the jews are easier to blame that makes sense that a group of shadowy figures is meeting in term in in order to screw each other over i mean hell a group of shadowy figures meeting to try and screw everybody over exists in the world of the x-files several groups like that exist True, true. I mean, I don't know. I I, I, I kind of agree with you, but I kind of think it's... Does a, it cross... I, I guess the question is, does it cross a line? I mean, we are in post-Trump America. So yeah, to have somebody spouting off casual anti-Semitism, I think, stings a little more now than it might have done then. Right, because Mulder seems amused by it. And, and 
Well, because also Mulder's not Jewish, like to my knowledge. So, yeah, I, I, I think that's he where he's coming from. It like this is just number one. Where the fuck are you getting this from? And number two, like really, that's where you're going with this. That's who you blame for this. Because I, because I, I think the other part of it is that. I feel like yes, what you said is true, but also that that this could that that can be true, but this can also be a somewhat clumsy attempt by yeah. Vince Gilligan to not make this guy a squeaky clean guy. And I also think that it's a not it's a clumsy attempt to paint Mulder as a good guy because here is this guy who is like a little bit odious. He holds beliefs that are odious, and Mulder is still willing to save him because that's the right thing to do. You know, it, it's the I don't know. It's just like what you said is true, but it also feels yeah. like what the one false note of the episode that that in, in an episode that is otherwise extraordinarily well done. Yeah, like I said, I can't tell if it rings sour because of the times and all of that, or if it wasn't even that effective back then. Yeah, he's not gonna. This this isn't the Vince Gilligan that created Breaking Bad yet, and this may be a fantastic episode, but he is gonna make errors, I guess. Although you know, given that Nazis are one of the major villain groups in Breaking Bad, I wonder if that is just a weird. I don't want to say interest of Vince Gilligan's, but I don't know for whatever re- reason, anti-Semitism is on his radar. I think. Yeah, I don't know. Is Vince Gilligan Jewish? I mean, not that you have to be like no, Jewish but but it would also anti-Semitism. But it would ex- it would help to explain why he is particularly sensitive to that. Yeah, no, I, I I think that's true. I think that's true. I don't know. There is something that I appreciate in how this is openly a remake of Speed, and yet, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, it's very obvious what they're doing. And again, Mulder even makes that quip. Oh, I saw that movie. But and yet it doesn't take away from the effectiveness and the tension of that. There, There is something very endearing in that. Obviously, Gilligan saw speed. Everybody saw speed. He liked that movie, thought it was cool and thought, hey, I'd like to do my stamp on that. Yeah, no, it's very well done. I mean, this this episode is is extraordinarily uh, memorable, if nothing else. Yeah, I, 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 and and again, the beginning where there, I, I love the beginning where it's a Fox News broadcast about this yeah. car chase, which, I mean, that that is again something that is lost in us watching this on Hulu now in 2018 because. Yeah, somebody watching that, you know, you may, maybe you would have gotten that second of, wait, is this really happening? I mean, that, it's a cute little uh, little gimmick in that way. Again, something you can do on an episodic series like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the X Files, as I said before, uh, was no stranger to, to fourth wall breaking. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, I think we'll call it an episode. If you have any thoughts on the beginning or drive, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at tuninginshow.com. As I said earlier, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. It is also supporting our other podcast, Truckabout. This week, two days ago, we released our 300th episode of Truckabout, believe it or not. So go check that out at truckaboutshow.com. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we are there. Tuning in show is our username in all those places. And as always, Apple Podcast has a feature where you, yes, you, can leave a review of podcasts. So you should do that for tuning in because, as Richard knows, it is the best way to get new listeners to listen to 
you. Oh, fuck. I messed up. You earned your $10 this week. Yay. All right. Next week, we're going to be continuing with the sixth season of The X-Files. We're going to be talking about Triangle and Dreamland. Mac, why do you...